0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Uncuff India podcast. I'm Abhinaya and my pronouns are she and her. My name is Utanshi and my
1: pronouns are she and her. We are your hosts for today and it's lovely to have you all listening in. In this episode, we aim to understand the processes which inform writing and sharing about violence by the state, particularly by and about people from Dalit communities. We will do this by exploring how the state treats their writing and reporting of state violence and will critically assess the challenges that the Dalit communities face, including the institutional violence embedded within the
0: process of speaking up. And state agencies are modeled on existing unequal social systems. In practice, this can look like replication and aggravation of existing forms of violence. This becomes possible for the state due to the socio-political and oftentimes even legal sanctioning of the actions of these agencies. Moreover, given that India's ranking in the Press Freedom Index has only dipped consistently in the recent past, the silencing and erasure of marginalized narratives is often the outcome. Given these circumstances, through this episode, We aim to understand what speaking up against the state and or even speaking out about one's lived realities mean for people at the intersections of these multiple vulnerabilities.
1: Thanks, Abhinaya, for that. To discuss this and to share their insights on this very important topic with us, we have with us Dr. Swati Kamli. Swati is an anti-caste, intersectional feminist and independent researcher-activist. Her research broadly focuses on human rights and social justice movements, decolonization and intersectionality. She has a PhD in socioeconomics from the Faculty of Social Sciences at the University of Geneva. And her doctoral research focused on the political mobilization of India's caste affected, caste oppressed communities, their movement history and how this movement has shaped oppressed caste women activists into agents of change. In this research, she studied how Dalit women activists influence policy processes by negotiating and navigating androcentric upper caste bureaucratic spaces of power. Additionally, she has studied Roma women's movement in Hungary and how the European decade for the Roma inclusion plan policy did not reflect the issues of Roma women that the Roma civil society has been advocating for. Currently, she is researching the digital activism of Dalit women and middle class Dalit women's mobility in the Indian neoliberal market. She is also collaborating with Dalit indigenous and marginalized groups and organizations in India on a project around mapping and archival of indigenous forms of knowledge and decolonization. I am so thrilled to have you join us for this episode, Swati. It's been phenomenal to be learning from you and to be hearing your thoughts on this very, very
2: important topic. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Utanshi. Um, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Thank
0: you so much, Utanshi and Swati. I think to start off, Swati, uh, I I think that there's a tendency to generally deny that caste violence even exists in our society. So, would you be able to uh, shed some light on instances of violence that Dalit communities have experienced in India?
2: Yeah, thank you very much, Abhinaya. Um, Absolutely, there is this tendency uh, due to the constitutional safeguards uh, that exist today, Albeit on paper, most of the times, that uh, within India, Dalit communities, marginalized communities uh, in general, be it uh, also the Adivasi, scheduled tribes, uh, Vimukta, NTDNTs, nomadic tribes, and notified tribes, communities that who are protected, who um, have affirmative action, uh, you know, reservation ensured through affirmative action, uh, or there is atrocities, um, prevention of atrocities act of 1989 that ensures that, you know, any form of atrocities against these marginalized communities would be punishable offense. So an untouchability is constitutionally abolished. Within India, we have these, you know, very, very strong uh, legal frameworks uh, that address these injustices, historical injustices uh, meted out against the untouchable communities of yesteryears uh, who are named now Dalits and other vulnerable communities. But our society has not caught up to uh, the constitutional morality that we have. And as we know that, um, the fabric of our society, our Indian society is a caste a fabric. It's woven in uh, caste. So all around us, we see instances of violence right from, uh, stu- institutional violence where students, uh, going into higher education or for that matter, primary schools, um, you see that, um, Students uh, experience casteism. Students are, um, are told—I mean, they—they are told about their caste while they are um, asking difficult questions. So you, you are always told that you know, be uh, be grateful. Um, for the favor that is done to you by the state. So state and the society thinks that you are this protect, protected category and are now uh, benefiting from these fruits um, and uh, you're not deserving of these fruits. So you have um, um, case, very, very uh, famous case of uh, Rohit Vemula in 2016, where uh, not only was he a very brilliant scholar, we got to read him only through his suicide note, which caused caused fervor in our uh, Indian society. And it led to a very strong momentum of student movement uh, within India, a student movement of anti-caste uh, communities, anti-caste students, where when he asked difficult questions in the institutions around the uh, Hindutva nationalistic rhetoric that is going around, um, him and Other uh, anti-caste students were not allowed to um, enter the university premises. And when they protested by uh, staying outside the university premises, it's almost looked at as, you know, the very symbolic performance of caste where you are ousted, you are ostracized uh, in the similar fashion as written in the scriptures. Like you will be punished if you have dared to read the Vedas. You will be punished with molten lead in your ears or your tongue would be chopped off. Uh, This is what scriptures prescribed some 2000 odd years ago, uh, 2500 years ago. And this archaic rules you see being played out in contemporary times too very, very much uh, where As a form of protest, uh, Rohit Vemula committed suicide and uh, the anti-caste communities term it institutional murder. You have this very strong instance uh, where his suicide note talks about his birth being his fatal accident, that a human is not uh, acknowledged for his sheer humanness, but uh, there will be these labels of caste, of gender, of uh, how much money you have, what is the social cloud that you have, what are your social networks. These are the ways in which uh, humans are graded. And that's what we see time and again in our Indian society. And um, it's it's not only in this direct form of violence that we uh, can not only, uh, it's not only in this direct form of violence where people are murdered, people are killed, but also structurally. Because you're not expected to be in these spaces. You're not allowed to be in these spaces. So when you be there, you be amicable. You be docile. Don't ask questions. Follow the norms. Norms prescribed by the caste. You don't do that. You are going above what you're supposed to do. So this very strong power dynamic conflict arises when subversion takes place within the marginalized. When marginalized ask difficult questions, when marginalized ask truth speak truth to the power the power beat educational institutions power beat the state Uh, political institutions judiciary you uh, get confronted yet um, you know uh, Dalit communities have been very very assertive asking for their rights because there is a 200 years long legacy of movement, social movements. And that really uh, sort of has uh, emboldened, emancipated a whole lot of Dalit communities. You have other very recent instance of Hathras gang rape in the state of Uttar Pradesh, which is, I dare say, one of the most uh, feudal states in India, um, most populous state and very divided state in the contemporary Hindu nationalist state that we are in Uh, and you have uh, three years ago this young woman who was gang raped by the Thakur caste men Mm -hmm. and uh, her mortal remains were burnt by the police so police and judiciary worked hand in hand in covering up uh, the entire atrocity that was meted out not only that when the verdict comes out Uh, you see acquittal of the four out of uh, uh, three of the uh, accused and only one of the accused convicted and uh, convicted under the Prevention of Atrocities Act, um, despite the dying declaration of the victim who named clearly that she was forcibly sexually violated. So you see that our Indian society is very much steeped in this brahminical patriarchy where Dalit communities are also taught lesson by controlling women sexually by, you know, doing this. Uh, So Dalit women bear the multiple burden of violence. So you see uh, educated masses, the critical mass within the community gets the strong uh, blow. The women get the strong blow and these are the ones who are at the forefront of the movement too so their assertion on top of the violence that is over like omnipresent you see that when they assert when they dissent and they when they ask difficult questions is when they also uh, experience violence yes so these are two instances but there are multiple of them in maharashtra you have uh, khairlangji that happened in 2006 and i was 20 year old who had just uh, Come abroad to study in Sweden, uh, yeah. and I I I remember this very clear clear as day, uh, September of two thousand six, when we heard of how the entire family was hacked to death, death uh, how the women of the family were raped brutally, dismembered, and the violation is beyond you know it's such a monstrous act. Uh, The violation is so extreme that one disbelieves. So I think the majority of society also plays an ostrich. It puts a head under the sand and says, oh, look what all we have done. They had only reservation for 10 years. It was meant to be 10 years. It's been prolonged and it's been prolonged and it's been prolonged. All the while forgetting that reservation is not an act to just remedy the, you know, um, class uh, or poverty, it is an act to reparative justice, Uh, um, you know, all those historical injustices need to be turned. Uh, That's when we can say that uh, this form of reservation can be ended or when the violence is like, not only absence of direct violence, because absence of direct violence can be created by snifling the voices but uh, you could also i mean you have to uh, focus on restorative reparative justice
1: yeah no definitely uh, swati i think there's so much to unpack in in your answer to our question and i think there is yes so much- yes it's very complex Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I'm very intrigued to also step in to just break down some of this complexity a little bit more for our speakers. And uh, I wanted to understand from you, you know, you shared experiences and examples of uh, people from the Dalit community speaking against this form of violence, and, you know, not being silent in the face of this sort of violence. And I wanted to ask you, you know, what are, um, what are some of the ways by which we can start thinking about the challenges that a Dalit person faces when they come out and they speak truth to power, right? Um, You, of course, mentioned some of them, but if you could just highlight, say, two or three uh, for our listeners to get that understanding and to be able to really um, empathize with the challenges that members of the Dalit community may face, it will be really, uh, really uh, fantastic.
2: Definitely. So, you know, I can go back to uh, 2007 and 8 when I uh, was a master's student and I decided to look at the the constitutional uh, guarantees uh, or amendment that were made um, to ensure political participation of women and scheduled caste and scheduled tribes. So because, uh, and this is also in the, background of the 90s, um, where we were really looking at decentralization of government. Now, when we look at decentralization, it looks like ideal Panchayat Raj, where people have power, or to, true democracy, where you know people uh, collectively uh, make decisions about their ways of living in the village. It sounds very sustainable and it sounds very... Uh, romantic also. But f- looked at from the caste lens, the villages, small, uh, you know, closed-knit communities uh, tend to be the dens of, you know, casteism and violence. So my research was looking at the violence experiences experienced by Dalit communities, specifically Dalit women in the uh, in Maharashtra, in Bid district, Maratwada region of Maharashtra, which is also within Maharashtra context is one of the very uh, kind of a state, a, a region where Dalits have experienced extreme forms of violence um, also because uh, of the existing movement or existing vibrant Dalit movement there. So you see side by side, um, existence of Dalit mo- movement and violence. The Marathwada region experienced the Namantar server. You would want to look that up. Namantar Server is changing the name of Marathwada University um, to Dr. Ambedkar University. Now, Dr. Ambedkar had contributed tremendously in building educational institutions and you know uh, laying out a framework for educational upliftment of marginalized folks, and so therefore it was only uh, logical for the state of Maharashtra to lend that honor to him by giving the name of the university. And symbolically, it's not a very huge act. But when the society is castized, when the society does not acknowledge the revolutionaries and leaders of the communities, and when these symbols uh, become you know, markers of creating histories, taking spaces, uh, acknowledging uh, laying claim to these public spaces, universities, roads, and so on, a statue building, all these become contested issues. How do they become contested issues? Uh, that, you know, you uh rewriting that you were here, you are marking, you're creating a signpost, and then that signpost is not accepted by the dominant society. So Maratvada region uh, is a very unique region and that's why i chose uh, to go there to work with a manavi Hakka abhiyan which means um, human rights campaign uh, organization led by um, uh, late uh, advocate eknath awad and uh, um, there I was looking at how Dalit women are trying to participate in this constitutional am- amendment of 73rd and 74th amendment, where you can participate in the Panchayat Raj as a chairperson. You can go for elections uh, and become the a chairperson or be the members. Now, what was happening in 2006 and seven uh, is that a lot of reports were coming forth. What kind of reports were coming forth? Uh, of the political participation after a decade, decade and a half of uh, this amendment implementation is that women are merely, while women's participation has increased, they are merely uh, proxies or beti-bahu brigade, as in beti-bahu and uh, wives, uh, daughters, wives and daughter-in-laws were made proxies to the seat of chairperson. So the whole business would be taken care by the men uh, of the family. Um, And uh, within the Dalit communities, it would be the landlord. So the power dynamic in the villages were playing out. And so this was the reporting that was going on in the newspapers and so on. On the other hand, I was also reading uh, civil society organizations' reports, reports of uh, assertion, of Dalit communities to exercise the chairmanship and um, and then the violence meted out to, uh, to them. So you had uh, NCDHR bringing out a report called Dalit Women Speak Out and there they mapped out violence against women who were participating in politics. In that research I uh, looked at 20 women who were participating in politics and as a young researcher I saw that, you know, I, I, I went with this uh, feeling that or I went with this knowledge because, you know, you are also studying in an educational institutions, which are highly colonial, highly uh, upper caste uh, institutions. So y- you sort of take in what is told to you. Uh, and I thought that I will uh, have narratives of women ex- experiencing extreme form of violence. And I did encountered a lot of uh, you know experiences of violence but what intrigued me further was how these women were in the face of violence uh, still uh, going ahead claiming their rights so how did they claim their rights they were not allowed to sit on the chair so I <laughs> I, I, wouldn't be sharing the names of the women this is already a decade and a half ago but um, Uh, one of the women that I uh, uh, interviewed, uh, she ensured sitting on uh, the chair by having two police personnel uh, around during the meetings. Another one invited uh, during the flag hoisting of 26 January. She was not allowed to hoist flag for first two years. The third year comes uh, a whole uh, team of police who stand there and she hoists a po- uh, uh, flag in the presence of police. Now, she tells me, these both women told me with amusement. But to to have these mere simple symbols of your citizenship as, your cha- as being a chairperson being um, played out, you, you are sort of uh, having to have police protection. You have someone... Um, uh, who went up to Supreme Court because she had a no-confidence motion against her uh, because she was asking too many difficult questions during the uh, her chairmanship. And she went ahead from high court to Supreme Court. And in the end, the president of India uh, felicitated her and she was very proud. But the ordeal that one goes through to sort of uh, claim your simple citizenry rights that should be just ensured to you. And it's, it's quite intrigued me. And uh, it uh, sort of turned my attention to look at what are the factors that facilitate the marginalized communities to sustain against all this backlash, against all this violence. And that's what my research kind of tried to bring forth. Uh, you have many, many famous cases where uh, you know, um, uh, a tribal um, uh, community uh, person, um, Mathura, uh, Mathura's case, or uh, you look at the Bhavri Devi's case, you see that uh, these victims of uh, violence, rape, then become sort of face of the movement. Bhavri Devi, in fact, became so very active uh, in... Uh, in the uh, in her like uh, trajectory after being the survival of violence, so these are a few instances from the old, like yester years. You have uh, uh, the whole strong movement that has come up in recent years um, against the institutional violence that is taking place. Student groups uh, emerging. So these are the instances where members of the Dalit communities are kind of, and writing, uh, sort of like intellectually engaging, keeping the discourse going, talking over and over and over again, that look around you, violence happens because it can be easily forgotten. To the point that you know Dalit communities are accused that you are crying the same cries all over again, and you are playing a politics of this caste discrimination to forward your own interests. These these are the sort of accusations that are slapped at Dalit communities, leaderships, and and yeah, we can even further talk about uh, you know uh, other sort of uh, allegations that uh, Dalit women face. Um, dalit men face uh the question of dalit patriarchy the term that is introduced by uh, dalit scholar gopal guru but how it is used misused twisted how intersectionality is misused and twisted in our future questions
0: thank you so much for um, your insights uh, on that question swati and also for um Uh, also for depicting what forms uh, Dalit resistance has taken um, over the years and what it manifests as as well. Um, And since you also specifically mentioned the role of Dalit writing in sustaining and nourishing the uh, Dalit resistance movement, I wanted to um, understand from you um, if you could elaborate on that a little bit more and also shed light on um, the value continuously writing about violence against uh, Dalit Bahujan and Adivasi folks brings uh, the brings to the table.
2: Thank you, Avinaya, for that question. Um, Dalit writings in recent years, um, and um, even in the past years, like you know, if you go, you'll you'll have to trace back the history of the one of the first uh, sort of uh, documentation of. Uh, Dalit writings, you you look at Mukta Salve, who was one of the students of uh, Jyotira Phule and Savitri Mai the first educators of um, in, in India of indigenous uh, you know uh, background, uh, and Mukta Salve writes very critically about the plight of Mahar and Mang communities in Maharashtra, and uh, you see her ask very very critical pertinent questions, and she. Uh, talks about uh, the multiple burdens faced by Dalit women. She talks about intersectionality. I mean, of course, intersectionality came into being um, just 30 years ago, but uh, the intersectional way of thinking already existed in Dalit writings. Uh, so she talks about how Dalit women uh, bear the burden of labor. So they they are laboring classes, but laboring intellectuals. You see that they are, uh, you know, in her writing, she talks about how they have to give birth to their babies uh, without roof uh, and the grueling uh, labor that uh, the men and women Continue and that education is going to emancipate them. So this emphasis on education is is already there right from the beginning because she's the one of the first ones of the community who has received uh, you know the benefits of it and has gained her own voice. Um, you come uh, to uh, the 60s and the 70s and you see Dalit uh, writings taking much more revolutionary edge in terms of uh you know uh the dalit panthers movement uh, which led to literally movement you, literary movement you look at uh, namdev Dasa's writing it's so explosive uh, one of the poem that touches me uh, to the core is man you should explode and you you get so uncomfortable by the way he is pouring out this sort of, you know, destruction. And towards the end, he says, once you are done with all this destructive way of being, man, you should become human. And, and that, that like, you know, is the essence of Dalit writing. I feel Dalit writing invites us to find our humanity. Um, it's it democratizes uh the our you know social fabric uh which is you know very graded so you see uh in the 60s 70s 80s much more Dalit literature coming up which it was coming up in such a uh, sort of form that the label was attached to it Dalit literature you have uh, arjun danglay's poisonous bread you have uh Daya Pavar's Baluto in Maharashtra. You have um, uh, Urmila Pawar and uh, Urmila Pavar writing. We also uh, wrote Histories, a uh, book where she's documenting the activism uh, of micro organizations of Dalit women uh, in the city of Bombay in Maharashtra. And uh, she's trying to unearth and uncover all these uh, unnamed unsung uh, heroines and heroes uh, in her writing. Across India, writing sort of became an exchange within the communities to come come together, to mobilize. It was sort of a kind of creation of manifestos. Uh, what are we experiencing? What are we aspiring to? Um, and it's so, uh, it's a very radical form of uh, kindness if i may say so uh, it's a radical form of uh, asking critical questions it's brave um, and i don't want to romanticize because there are a lot of issues uh, within dalit uh, and other marginalized uh, communities but you know women have been also at the forefront of asking these critical questions through their writings they have um, also talked about the way uh, Brahmin, Brahminical patriarchy has affected uh, the Dalit uh, solidarity or uh, a Dalit uh, household. You have Bama's writing, um, uh, Kuruku, and uh, you have uh, Juthan uh, by Umprakash Prakash Valmiki in the north. Uh, so these are very, very interesting uh, books and uh, Thoughts produced in them uh, kind of ga- give way uh, forward to Dalit communities. It's a venting, and you know, Dalit literature gets uh, sort of uh, accusations that it is descriptive, that it is experiential, that it is anecdotal, and that there is no analysis. But if you read through, you see uh, uh, greater philosophical thoughts. In those writings, Mukta Salve is talking about education as emancipation. I mean, that's that's so profound. Like uh, Jyotira Fule talks about truth seeking society where he's talking, he he invites you to have a critical mind. And, uh, you know, this is uh, way before pedagogy of oppressed, uh, which invites you critical consciousness came into being and uh i it's 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 really uh for me uh i feel that uh, it it has made i mean in in the 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 70s 80s literature has kind of given a foundation for uh dalit communities uh and you you see in contemporary times uh dalit women uh, mostly engaging uh, in uh, writings uh, on digital platforms. Art, they're using digital platforms to uh, communicate through their art forms, through their writings, by talking to each other, coming together. And internet space, which is also where, you know, now uh, talking about marginalization, talking about racial discrimination and uh, sort of has kind of garnered some attention. You see uh, Dalit women uh, hyper um in a certain way, and Dalit women try to challenge that. Uh, they try to challenge the victimization that is there. victimization uh, imposed on them. They, are, they have been victims of the violence, but uh, that is not the only narrative that Defines Dalit women. Dalit women's uh, multiple multiple ways of being uh, are showcased in these uh, forms of uh, writings or communication and knowledge creation. Um, And in fact, you know, writing is a contemporary form, relatively new to our human society. But uh, before that, there have been indigenous ways, anti caste ways of uh, uh, being um, you know, to the point where I would even say that the, uh, dissenting communities of the years uh, got this. And I think I, I know that Ambedkar writes in his book, whoever, who were the untouchables, who were the Shudras. He's in fact trying to say that the, you know, when the human divisions happen, those who, were defeated or those who were asking uh, who were dissenting uh, uh, were graded lower in the hierarchy um, and so it was very important for the caste norms to in fact ambedkar's writings are also so very important it's no it's it's um, like you know intellectual work and i would also take it as very important literature, where he's talking about castes in India, their genesis, the mechanisms and so on. Early in the 1930s, already uh, in 1960s, uh, 16 is his first essay, Cast in India. Then he, in 30s, he writes Annihilation of caste. So in that 20 years of span, he's already thinking of how these mechanisms have worked to divide our society and how... We have sort of uh, ways to annihilate. I, I will just briefly for a minute talk about someone who uh, is sort of uh, a scholar of conflict and peace uh, from Norway, Johan Galten, uh, who in fact talked about uh, triangle of violence and this pers- this scholar in fact talks about how a structural violence cultural violence and uh, the direct violence uh, clubbed together intensifies and creates this whole you know uh, strong wall uh, and i think dalit writings have been trying to take off brick by brick, by brick this structure um, and in his works around uh, aspiring to uh, peace, Gal- Galton also talks about, you know, how we should focus on not merely in absence of uh, violence as uh, achievement of peace or achievement of ex- uh, conflict being resolved, but we have sort of uh, have to envision this world of cooperation co-existent co uh, have, like co uh, creating uh, justice so we we need to weave a new fabric of justice and uh, that's what you know uh, indigenous communities dalits um, have been trying to uh, write
1: yeah, and I think especially when you are speaking about, you know, how powerful their voices can be, reading about their work can be, it's really something that makes us reflect a little bit more on, you know, what what kind of literature or what kind of stories are we, are we listening to when we grow up and what kind of stories are we sharing uh, with the people in our lives? Precisely, precisely. Life. Yeah, and I think it's so powerful to listen to you and especially the final thought that you shared with us and our listeners about, um, about you know, we need to weave a collective understanding of justice and what that means for us. And it's just, you know, the entire time you were speaking, Swati, I'm just constantly thinking about how insightful this conversation has been for both Abhinaya and me, but also I'm sure it will be for all our listeners as well. I also know that there is so much to talk about. Uh, but thank you so much, uh, Swati, for the time to do this, uh, for for talking about this with this much patience and uh, and and with this much care. It's really been phenomenal to be listening
2: to you. Thank you so much, Uttanshi. Um, I really uh, look forward to this episode and uh, yeah. comments of the listeners too.
1: Yeah, definitely, Swati. Um, I also want to just take a quick moment to thank our listeners. Thank you so much uh, for tuning in today. Please leave us any questions you might have as voice notes on Anchor or in our DMs. We'd love to hear from you and hear your thoughts on this episode. This podcast is brought to you by One Future Collective. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Rate One Future Collective and One Future Underscore India on Twitter
0: and keep an eye out for future episodes.